Another uh, episode of the Snap No Tap podcast. I'm Tony Cicchini, along with the one and only Jose, Pepe, Giuseppe. Uh, what else can we call you? Mr. Cardinale, Joe Cardinal. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing good, Tony. How are you this morning? Well, uh, according to my computer down here, it's 90 degrees outside and it's 8 a.m. Oh, man. So, yeah. So uh, what is it by you? I'm just looking it up right now as we speak. 69. So lucky number. <laughs> you got a good number. Yeah. Well, I got 90 over here. So uh, at eight o'clock in the morning. So we, you're, it's going to be a, uh, something else today. But I hope everybody in America, at least here, had a nice extended um, Memorial Day weekend last week. Uh, now, the next one coming up for us is the 4th of July. And then, sadly, will be the, uh, uh, what do you call that one in September now? Labor Day, you know? And uh, that is will be like the official end of summer. But Man, Yeah, I really try not to think like that because I start yeah. to get in the habit of counting down the days already. I think that's, I don't know if that's just like a Midwestern thing or, or you just. No. Yeah, just. No, I did that growing up in Cleveland, but the emphasis was more or less on, oh, I got to go back to school, you know. Um, yeah, we I went. I was going to say, I thought once I was out of school that I would be okay with the end of summer, but it has, it, it's school is not the issue. It's, it, it's the weather, man. And uh, I mean, oh, I yeah. kind of stating the obvious, but it's just uh, the people who are actually able to escape and uh, like get out of town for the winter, you know, for a good stretch of time. I think that, that, that's the, that's the ticket, man, because yeah, it just, it affects your whole year, really that seasonal swing. Well, again, too, back when we were kids, Cleveland, the east side of Cleveland, where I live, where you've seen it off the lake, mm-hmm. we'd get trounced with snow. I mean, trounced. It was bad. And so we kind of look forward to that because we're thinking we're going to get a snow day. You know, we're not going to have to go to school. Um, so now, of course, you know, since you're out of school, you just, you know, yeah, the snow, you can you can have it. But, yeah, you're right. Um, it's It's all for me now. It's like weather-based. But for sure, I know my grandparents told me this growing up. The older you get, the faster time goes by, it seems. And boy, are they right. Yeah, absolutely. It's I think yeah, that cliche about like you grow up slowly and then you grow old fast or, or like the, the days are long, but the years are short. I mean, uh, there's a lot of phrases for that phenomenon. But absolutely, I can't believe, you know, well, yeah, even the year. I just, yeah, all that stuff. I think it, it's just, uh, yeah, so part of it is it's almost kind of like a, trying to be Zen-like about it and be in the moment and enjoy and slow things down. I do wonder if, 
Do you ever seen that movie? I can't even remember if it was called Click or whatever. I think it was an Adam Sandler movie, but basically where he could oh. fast forward parts of his life. I mean, it's not a great movie or whatever. Although Kate Beckinsdale's in there, so that alone's worth watching any movie. But um, basically, he could he had like some kind of magic remote control where when when shit was bad with his life, he could just fast forward it, and then it got where he couldn't. Like it basically kind of takes over, and he speeds through his life, and. Um, I wonder if that's like a mental thing that over the years you kind of train yourself you know like as a kid I was always watching the clock waiting to get out of school you know or I was waiting for summer to come or whatever like I was you know I think I was always mentally looking towards the future or trying to like zone out you know I even caught myself during workouts like if I would go on a long run um, you know because you're, you're dealing with discomfort and pain that I would mentally check out that I would go through, I don't know if you've experienced this on your long bike rides, but where you could go for a mile or two and, and, and not even re- like, like you'd be somewhere else and you wouldn't even have experienced that mile of the run or the mile of the bike ride that you checked out. And I think that that can become a really bad mental habit. I'm going to mute my mic because I've got a train going here. Hold on. Well, I'm sure, you know, it's like a a form of like road hypnosis. Um, And with the bike back then, I didn't have a speedometer or or odometer on my bicycle, uh, my Bianchi back in the eighties, I just rode, you know, Um, and you kind of get an idea of, you know, if you have a route, you, you, you kind of know how far you're going. But when I would venture over to the West side on my bike, I'd have no idea how far I went, you know, um, I just knew that from Cle- from my house to downtown public square was three miles. Okay. From ground zero. So, but once I crossed over, uh, you know, the high level bridge there and then started my John into the West side. Yeah. You lose, you lose track. So yeah, what you do, what you're saying is probably common. But yeah, just for me, it's, I've tried to break out of that. Like, even when I'm running, I'll try to, even if I'm uncomfortable, I'll try to be in the moment and see what's going on around me. And that's also a good awareness drill. Honestly, we, you know, we talk about self-defense and the first line of self-defense is awareness. Um, and so just trying to be aware of what's around me, little details of what plants I'm running by. Um, even though, like I said, or I'll try to listen to my body, you know, listen to what my breathing rate is at or what is hurting are my knees hurting or is my posture, you know, uh, but not check out basically try to be in the moment, uh, you know, and when I catch myself drifting away and I mean, it's never going to be perfect, but, um, just kind of a switch of gears. Uh, and hopefully, like I said, I just, I, you know, I'm always work, waiting for the next, like if I have something going on at night, it's like, well, I got nothing going on for the never, next several hours, but try and be in the moment and slow things down a little bit. Another thing that'll slow time down for you is fasting. I know you've done a lot of fasting, but you start to me, you start to notice time, you know, because your body's maybe, you know, you're waiting for that next meal. Um, and so all of a sudden, you know, normally, you know, lunchtime coming up would be like, oh, you don't even pay attention to it. It's, oh, all of a sudden it's lunchtime. But when you're, when you're not allowing yourself to eat, all of a sudden those few hours can seem like a long time. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, I, uh, I'm not fasting currently. Well, I still kind of sort of do, but 12 hour only, which really doesn't do anything. Um, but I could probably start, 
I'm going back into the hospital for those people who are curious. Um, We're filming this on Sunday, so I'm going in on Tuesday, and I don't know how long I'll be in. Um, So uh, and then after that is done, I got to get back to my ENT doctor. I got to schedule an appointment. And um, uh, because I had a bad episode the other day here, um, which I, it was pretty yeah, it wasn't a good one. So uh, it, it's so I'm not going to be doing anything um, with my health, uh, like fasting. I'm not going to do anything until you know probably another few days here until I get get more results and and things like that. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as well, when you talk about time, you know, where I was went to school, we had longer school years. Okay, I had about 200 school days. Uh, Again, I went to a parochial school up until 10th grade was my first time in public school. But um, so we have a I had about three weeks more school than the kids out here. Right. Which is like roughly 180 days. I had something like 200. I think I forgot now what it was, 195 or something, but at least two to three weeks. I mean. For example, I I didn't graduate high school until the uh, second week of June. And school went on even another week. Not for us seniors, but for the juniors. Um, So, yeah, we would normally get out in the middle of June for, for school. So that cut into a lot of our summer there, you know, um, but it's technically not summer until the 21st of June. See, so that's how they based it. Mm. Uh, so, and then we would start the day after Memorial Day. Okay. Uh, school's already out over here. Uh, it was out. They didn't even have school last week because I have to pass a, a little middle school. Um, and they didn't have school all last week. The middle school was dead close. So, I mean, I don't know how many days they get out here of school. Uh, it just doesn't seem like there's a, a lot. And there's always, because they have a sign out in front of the school or whatever. They like, congratulate this one now, it says, Congratulations, class of 2023. But normally it'll say, Parents, teacher, conference, no school this day, that day, you know, that kind of. And I scratch my head sometimes thinking, Jesus, man, these, there's not a lot of school going on, it seems. So that ties into my summer, my, I guess my clock of growing up knowing that, you know, for us in schools, our summer doesn't start really until almost like the 4th of July. By the time you're out of school, you got a couple of weeks and then it's the 4th of July. It kind of sucked. Yeah. That's kind of bad. And then you, we were talking earlier about snow and snow days. Um, that can add on, at least like for us, if we, there's yeah. so many they could do and they'll tack them on at the end, but yeah, my ability to focus those last couple of, once it's nice outside, forget it, you know, like studying and yeah, no way, you know, that was, I can't, and most kids are checked out. It's, it's rough to go that long. I mean, to me, the ideal is like from Memorial Day to Labor Day, that should be the the break. I, I know some people went to school and like some of my cousins in St. Louis, whatever school district they were in, and I don't know if it was public or parochial, but they did year round school where they would go. I don't know, eight weeks and then get two weeks off. Or I don't even know what the, the, the pattern was. 
but I, I, I don't know if I'd like that at all. I don't know if I'd like to be in school as much as they were during the summer. I mean, they, they got a lot of breaks throughout the year. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear what the, if there's like any kind of, you know, quantifiable data on if that helped. Cause I guess the thing is they always say when kids go away for three months, there's a, you know, the, there's like, you have to, you lose a lot of ground and then you have to start back up. So there, but I don't know, mentally, I don't know. There, there's when, once you're an adult, there's so very few times where you get that kind of a break. I think it's, it's a pretty special thing. And so I, I just would be really hesitant to trade my summers. Yeah. I don't even know if they could effectively compare because it, a lot of it would boil down to curriculum and oh yeah class size. And, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I just, you know, ta- listen, the, we were talking before we started filming this today on how people in general from like, I'm, I'm a seventies and eighties guy. Okay. 1970s, 1980s. That's my gig. Okay. Um, and the, the difference in people, even people that are currently my age, I still live in the past. Everybody that knows me knows that. Okay. I'm a dinosaur. So I still act like I did in the seventies and eighties. Those days are gone, you know, or, or the, like the, like my, the people that would come over and visit me at my house, even, you know, as adults, you know, in, even in the bad neighborhood or my grandparents, friends, or just the neighbors that would come over, you know, and sit on the porch with you or, or come in the house and play cards or, or whatever. Um, those, I don't see that, especially out here where I live, but even in Chicago, it's got nothing to do with COVID. This is, I've been here a lot longer than COVID. Um, there's just a, there's just a change and I don't like it. Uh, I, I think there's a bigger detachment than, um, in the past. So again, I'm not the guy to be, you know, giving answers because I'm, <clears throat> I'm a, I'm not opposed to certain changes like techno technological changes to a degree, although I'm opposed to like social media. Really, I mean, ironically, this is going to be on a social media thing, but this is more this is not interactive. Um, but I I think I think maybe technology's had a lot to do with that because, uh, you know, in the old days, people know we used to have to make phone calls, and that was even before answering machines. Now you could have text messages or Facebook posts or whatever you do. You could be talking to five people at the same time. Whereas in the past, you had to spend 20 minutes on the phone with one person, 20 minutes on the next, 20 minutes on the next. You didn't have enough time to do all this. Um, but yet it seemed far more personable. Um, yeah, I, I just kind of long for the old days where, it, where, and also where you can get away. Or when you left the house, and you're cruising somewhere. Nobody on planet Earth can get a hold of you. There's, there's, I love that. You, we don't have that anymore. Yeah, I mean, you're right on both counts. Um, yeah, you, you can always be connected, so you can't detach. But also people are, and I think a lot of people are making this observation, are, are just not making that connection. I mean, even when people are together in the same room, a lot of times they're on the phone you know, and I'm guilty of this too, the habit of just always checking your phone and seeing what's going on. Uh, and we were, t- again, talking before the podcast, I think for me, it's just a lot like food. You know, we've, it's so much easier to have processed food uh, nowadays. Uh, you know, it takes effort to have, you know, healthy, uh, you know, 
whole grain and, and, and natural foods, it's more expensive. It's the same thing with your social interactions. It takes more af, af, uh, efforts and you have to be deliberate about it. So it's a lot easier. You can kind of get that artificial fixed by just, you know, texting people or being on social media. Um, and so you have the, at some level, mentally, it's like, you know, you're seeing posts of your friends and whatnot. So it feels like you're, you're, you're seeing them every day or keeping up with what's going on in your life, but you know, you're not really, you know, it's, it's, it's all through that artificial lens and that, that's, and yeah, I'm sure it's going to have, and, and there's no, I, hopefully, I don't think we'll ever go back to that, you know, unless there's a major collapse or something like that, but it is, you know, just the way things are getting further and further apart geographically. I mean, you know, people moving out to the suburbs and, you know, you have to drive everywhere. It used to be that you could, you were one walking distance of, you know, stores and everything. Now you can't get anywhere without having to drive 15 minutes so that, you know, it's, it's technology. It's the way our society's organized. I mean, there's, I guess there's a reverse trend. A lot of people are like younger people are moving back into the cities. And I know a lot of people too, who like, um, don't drive or don't have cars that, you know, but again, they're not necessarily going out and walking to get things. They're just getting things delivered now. So, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it's not all because of the pandemic, but the pandemic has definitely been, obviously I'm stating the obvious here, but it's a huge impact on how society gets together. I mean, my work's not the same at all. It's it's a hundred percent different. I mean, my career, if I had anticipated the way it was going to go, I would have, you know, been making some serious considerations for uh, maybe looking for something else. But I, I used to have a fairly good community where I worked when I worked, you know, you go into the office and it was almost like, I mean, to me, subconsciously, it was very much like being in school. You know, you had all your buddies and you, you went to lunch and, you, you know, it had that same vibe. And I think I say subconsciously because a lot of times I, I would dream that I was back at school and high school, but it would, I would be with my coworkers. So clearly my, however I was feeling about it had a similar vibe, but now because I'm an IT, literally there are people who never go in the office. They work a hundred percent remote. So, you know, like the way you and I here are interacting, that's the only way I'll ever interact with them. And it's not the same. I mean, it's, it's, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone from what was like, it really had a social uh, part of my day and that's all gone this job pretty much. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's not a good trend. No, there's a lot of bad trends. And, you know, it's easy to blame it on the pandemic, but, or whatever. Uh, this shit's been going on. It's been brewing for a long time. And I believe it's all social media. That's the death of society as we know it. Because people say shit, right, or write shit. You wouldn't say, you wouldn't do at that time in, in person. However... Because people now are getting so bold with their anger and their name calling because they see it everywhere. Um, they're now starting to actually even do it in person. And, you know, there's becoming a lot of bad results, okay? Um, a lot of confront confrontations and stuff or other people who are just more meek saying, I don't want to be around these people. So I've got to try to rearrange my schedule to make sure I don't go to the gym when certain types of people are there, or I got to go to the store early before, you know, the assholes get there and shit. Um, yeah, that to me is, you know, it's, listen, I was raised by my grandparents. This is an important thing for a lot of people here. 
some of you who don't remember your grandparents or really only visited them occasionally, um, you may not really know how that generation, and I'm talking the World War II, the greatest generation, how they really were. I know it firsthand because I spent, you know, 23 years of my, the first 23 years of my life um, around nothing but World War II people, okay, and even slightly older. And let me tell you, my grandfather's friends, they all used the F word, they all cursed, they <laughs> all, I mean, this is a fact. People don't get it because they watch movies from the 40s and 50s, and there's, you know, or they'll watch Ozzy and Harriet or some show like that, you know. There's no cursing. There's separate beds. You know, um, that's not how (laughs) it really went down. Okay, believe me. And when I was around the next generation of people like Korea and Vietnam vets, also during that time frame, I was exposed to those people. Same thing. All the curse, 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 curse. But it was never, how can I say this? It was never violent. All right. It was never about killing people or uh, picking out a certain demographic of, of whatever, right? Um, I, I think the most violent shit I ever heard growing up as far as that kind of talk was about the Pittsburgh Steelers fans, okay? Because we hated the Steelers. Uh, Cleveland just, that's always been a rivalry. But, and again, that's normally tongue-in-cheek. So I think that's the biggest difference now. And, you know, I, I, as you know, I came from a horribly violent area. And if anybody, we, I mean, we were honestly actually concerned for our safety naturally. So you would discuss stuff like that. But it's, it's, a, it's completely different now. It, it really is. And, um, and I think it's unfortunate. And I, it, unless the, there's a collapse of social media, we'll never get, We'll never get back to like where we used to be, you know, um, and, and that's to me just sad. Oh, one more thing I want to add. I get every day I get little emails from the Cleveland Plain Dealer, okay, on my uh, on my email. I get the obits and then like what's going on in Cleveland. You know, I always keep in, I always want to know what's going on in my hometown. So about two weeks ago, approximately. About three three weeks ago, maybe, um, one of the you know the editors uh, was like, you know, we don't uh, we don't accept anonymous letters or uh, anonymous opinions. We publish people's names, and he and he and he goes, we were debating this because certain people who wrote to the plane dealer, including children. This is this is the the, the bad part here. They were getting doxxed, they were getting found, and they were getting threatened and, and harassed and actually assaulted. That's how bad it's gotten, where people are taking this shit now and putting it into real life. So that about two weeks ago or so, they made the determination to now allow just anonymous. So your identity can never be found out. Because uh, it's, it, even those Cleveland you think is a big city, it, it if you have a little bit of moxie, you can figure out someone, okay, based on what they've what what they've written, when they give their first name and their last initial, okay, or something. It, it's not that hard sometimes to piece it together. So I think that just shows you how bad it's getting. Where, you know, you can't even write a letter to the editor without 
worrying about what's going to happen to you in your pri- in your private life. Yeah, it's upsetting. I mean, this is the hyper-partisanship and polarization that everybody's talking about, and I hope that more people think about it and think about, I mean, because really, basically, there are people in politics and the media and what have you that profit from getting people upset. You know, if you think that the other person, like if Team A or Team B is going to win, it's the end of the country or the end of the, and it, it motivates people to donate money, it motivates people to go out and canvas or and definitely vote. But there's a negative consequence because people take those words to heart. And, uh, you know, like you said, this is not just the pandemic. This has been building for decades, I think, um, that, uh, yeah, people, you know, because this, this goes back even before social media. I mean, there were radio personalities who made millions getting people angry and upset. Um, and they, you know, they could give a shit about the consequences of what it does to people's lives. You know, I've talked to people uh, politically who have lost friends and uh, not law, but cut off friendships and family members. They won't talk. They get so upset about these things. Um, and, you know, you just got to kind of ask yourself, you know, whether you're left or right, if you're that upset at those the other side or whether are you being played a little bit? Are you being punked? You know, <laughs> are you being manipulated? Um, I mean, I, I remember watching this, uh, news special. It was, it was talking about a guy who was using social media and he basically, he made his money and he would post to both left and right. He knew how to get both sides agitated. Um, and that would get clicks, you know, and he made, he got rich doing this, getting, regardless of what your perspective was, he manipulated both sides, um, to get money. And you're right. I mean, uh, your average person who you know cares about this country or cares about things is going to be manipulated and they'll get people are obviously agitated and, and manipulated to the point of violence now and um it's going to take a deliberate effort by the people in positions of power to try and diffuse that and i don't know if they have a motivation to i don't know if there is an incentive for them to tone things down a little bit and it's not going to happen overnight i mean this has been like you said brewing for a long time and it just keeps building. So, um, you know, hopefully now people are a little aware that what you see on social media, I mean, and, and that stuff, not only people within our country, but it's, you know, foreign agents and governments can post, you know, a, a lot of stuff comes in. You guys say, where's the source here? What are they giving me? Why are they, you know, because uh, I mean, this is the first time really in human history where all over the world, you know, people can, you can get propaganda directly to you. You know, before they used, the governments used to have to set up radio stations and try and broadcast and cross over the border and people had to tune into the radio station or they drop leaflets. But now, you know, uh, a clever government agency can target, you know, everybody in their homes with information. You know, Uh, I've heard like a lot of crazy stories like, where they take over kind of like defunct news. They, they they title themselves like defunct and they actually just repost regular news stories. And it's kind of like a sleeper agent where they're, they're giving regular headlines. And so you kind of, you start to trust them as a news source. And then when they want to, then they can start, you know, occasionally uh, filtering in bullshit uh, to manipulate people, misinformation. Um, that's an interesting thing that you brought up because, Originally, we were going to talk about like a one degree of separation kind of thing. Um, and I want to, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, 
because, but I, I will give you an example of this. I had a cousin who sadly passed away about, a, I don't know, less than two years ago. Brilliant scientist, MD, PhD, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. We're talking the best in the country with uh, DNA, genomes. And he's invo- he was involved in the lost world with Michael Crichton. He wrote, he did the theories behind him and all of that shit. So he knew Michael Crichton. So Michael Crichton actually did a speech, and I believe it was called the, the, the Gell-Mann Amnesia. All right? And basically, what and this ties into what you were saying, what Michael Crichton said was, and the example that he gave is that you can read a newspaper, and there could be a story on a subject that you are an expert on, that you know everything there is to know about that subject. And you can read that story that's written, and you could blow holes right through it. You could say, well, this is completely not true. This is completely irrational. As a matter of fact, it's even the opposite way that they summarize this. This is completely phony. This is bullshit. Then you go to the next page, he said, and you read a subject that you know nothing about. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. Wow, wow. The point is, if you read one story in that newspaper, you have to just assume now that almost everything in that newspaper is bullshit. All right. But people have this bias. And he called it, as I said, the Geldash man um, amnesia, where Yes, you know that this story is fake, but now you all now you forget about that when you're reading a subject that you have no knowledge on. And literally in the courts of law, you can be disqualified as a witness, okay? There's a Latin term for it. I don't remember what it is. I don't need to know what it is. But basically, if you get up on a witness stand about something, some subject, and you just get destroyed because your facts are just you're you're just unreliable, then you're gone as a witness. You're never going to be, you know, nothing you you say anymore can be taken seriously. And I think that gets lost with a lot of people, all right, that they'll believe something that is so obviously untrue that has been proven beyond any doubt to be false, but they're already lured into this way of thinking, right? They're, they're going to start believing any, they're still going to believe anything that, that any outlet or, or person will spew, as opposed to saying, yeah, you know, I can't really trust this. And ironically, getting back to Michael Crichton, the example, another finishing example was that if you knew somebody personally, you know, not on television, not on radio, but in your daily life, and this guy would always lie to you, and you would know it, you would never put any trust in this guy. You just wouldn't. But we have this thing where if we see it written in a book or we see it on the new, in the news or on the news or on the internet, you just, there's subconsciously, it's like a magnet making you believe, 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 believe when your critical thinking skills are thrown out the window. That's a problem, Joe. That's a problem for a lot of people. It's a problem for almost everybody. I mean, I think everybody should be on the guard and question, uh, question your assumptions about things. Because I mean, to your point, I've met people who are, far smarter than me far more educated and some of the stuff that they've said or they believe it shocks me sometimes where and um you know and i don't want to get into specifics but it's the stuff that to me would be almost obvious uh and i do feel part of it is confirmation bias which i think is a very natural human trait I mean, that's something we all have to watch out for. If I, we all have our opinions and we want to hear things that confirm those opinions, 
And it's really hard to uh, push against that. And I mean, to your point is like, you know, how do you know when to believe something? I mean, that's not an easy question. I don't think most most things in life are complex. There's no just like, here it is in black and white. Uh, you know, it's not obvious like gravity where we can just, you know, everybody knows you can drop something. We can all prove it instantaneously. Most things are complex and you're going to have to look at it from multiple different sources to kind of arrive at, I think, an informed opinion. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to like go to sources that you don't necessarily like to hear their take on it. Um, you know, that might run counter, but I think that that's a habit everybody has to get into to saying, okay, what is the other side saying of whatever the argument is? It doesn't even have to be politics, but whatever it is, your, your, you know, your thing of interest. Uh, and, you know, we talk a lot in training about always trying to put yourself outside of your comfort zone and challenge yourself. But I think you have to do that uh, in the, these areas as well. Well, recently, uh, within the last week, the story broke here locally about a police officer, former police officer. Now he actually retired, uh, who 44 times beat speeding tickets and parking tickets and shit by basically most of the time swearing under oath that his girlfriend and him got into a fight. They broke up that day. She stole his car and she did it. All right. And he, he had forged, um, police reports. Anyhow, uh, there was also times where he did something wrong on the job and other police wrote him up. Other police officers, Chicago cops, filed a complaint against him. I bring this up because I don't want, I, it's no point in getting into his story, but the last part that I just mentioned about him doing shit on the job, I mentioned this to somebody. I showed him the article and they're like, you see? You see how dirty those cops are in Chicago? I'm like, wait a minute. Yes, this is a dirty cop, but what about the other police that that reported him? That said, this is bullshit. You know, this guy is crooked. So they looked at that one portion of the story. They saw the whole thing, but they focused on that one thing and said, he did this to to an innocent person um, and had his car impounded illegally. That's how Chicago cops are bad. Whereas he didn't say, well, at least there's honest police that stood up for the, the Chicago citizen that illegally that, you know, had his car illegally towed. So there you go with the confirmation bias. This person obviously has it in for Chicago police. So his confirmation bias is going to lead him right to the, the negative thing that the one police officer did, as opposed to the positive thing that other officers have done. So, and we see that, like you said, in our training in martial arts, you could you could see your 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 co- you know your style get beaten over and over, but you'll you'll still find a way to keep you know thinking, oh, it's the best, it's this or that. Um, yeah, it, I guess that's that's always been a part of human nature. That's one of the things. But because of the internet, you can really find your confirmation bias easy. You can go to websites or you know, blogs or whatever you want to call it that think like you think and it reinforces you. It inspires you to, to continue on with your line of thinking. Uh, I know some people out here, sadly, especially since I've been sick who mean well by trying to give me these quack medical advice, right? Crazy thing. And I smile and I I'm appreciative of their 
thought that, that this is their way to, to think they could help me. And, and it, you know, they can't. But they, they just fall prey to this. And the sad part is one in particular, one quasi-doctor who, who, who's been banned and, you know, just completely banned in Australia. To my f- friends here, that's their conviction now that she must be right. This lady doctor must be right because they're banning her. They're shutting her down. Uh, so obviously she's on the obviously she's on the right track. No, they're they're shutting her down because she's her medical or whatever you want to call it. You want to call it medical, but her advice is harmful and could kill you. That's why they're shutting it down. <clears throat> so you can't logically you you can't engage with people that think like this. Okay, where everything is a conspiracy, right? You you just I, yeah whatever. Yeah, and I mean, it's, and it's some of it, you can't blame them. I was thinking about what you're saying about, you know, if you find a newspaper article where you you see outright falsehoods in it, then do you trust that newspaper? But I mean, if you're honest and you, if you think about it, I mean, every politician that we have out there has, if not outright lied, they've distorted something. You know, they're all, you know, they all have a, that's part of their game is to distort things and, and manipulate and people pick up on that. And at a certain point you start to not trust anything. And it, and that's where I think it kind of runs away when you can't trust any source, you know, when you, you don't trust anything. And I think that, that that's the difficulty that then, then they start to question even really what I would say, like basic assumptions about reality that you and I know. I mean, the extreme example is, I mean, there are people out there, obviously, I mean, we've joked about it before on this podcast, but the flat earth thing, that there are people actually, you know, are true believers in that. And it's one of those things that's, you know, you, it's hard to believe how does a person get to that point that where they they so are distrustful of, you know, every source um, and, and they don't have the ability to reason it out for themselves you know, to look for that evidence, um, basic things that we just take for granted, facts about reality. Uh, I, I think it can, that distrust, I, I guess, the, I'm not sure what point I'm trying to make here is, but I, I think you, you and I both think you should have a healthy skepticism of all your sources and verify things, but you also can't, you've got, you can't, you've got to have a way of eventually learning how to trust some source. There's some facts that you can find and how do you, how do you get to trust those? Well, that comes back to you as an individual. You actually have to develop the critical thinking skills. You know, I believe Michael Schumer, uh, Shermer um, teaches critical thinking. I, I don't know how any, I mean, I know what critical thinking is, and I, I, I think I pride myself on having that, that ability. But um, there are subjects, naturally, that I don't know anything about. <clears throat> but my spider sense will tell me something isn't right here and let me just keep on digging deeper deeper or get to an expert that you that you know and trust there's very few subjects joe i mean how can i word this there's a lot of things going out on in on planet earth that i really just don't give a shit about right it just you know like oh i i don't know australian rules football i couldn't care less about australian rules football or you know even even soccer, right? I'm not into soccer, hockey. I don't care. So 
if somebody tells me Mario Lemieux was better than Wayne Gretzky, okay. Well, I, I just don't care enough to go into that debate. So on subjects that I do know a lot about or I, or I have an interest in, in garnering more knowledge, yeah, I'll, I'll try to get as much uh, insight in it as, as I can. And, you know, I've known people, as you guys know, that are the best in the world at what they do. They're absolutely the best, okay? There's no Jerry Sigler being one of them when it comes to music. But th- I didn't agree with everything in the world that, that Jerry said. And even musically, while the science behind what he said was great, I if I, even if I had his ability, I probably wouldn't play it play it the way he did it. Okay, I'm an individual and I'm thinking creatively. Uh, so even at even with his skill, you know, if I had his like he used to write arrangements for me for a lesson and he dumped it down so to speak. He made it so it wasn't beyond my technical abilities to play. And I still would add a little variance to it, which he liked because that's helping my, my improvisation. But I just did it because to me, this sounds a little better or, you know, and funny, I did an arrangement of a, of a tune at when Ronnie Moon was still alive and I played it for Ronnie. He just loved it. He's like, wow, this is great. I like your chords. I said, that's funny. You say that because Jerry couldn't stand it. He thought my chords, my uh, uh, substitute chord reharmonization here wasn't very good. So there is room for, um, you know, you don't have to become a sycophant here, you know, and just blindly follow a guru. But I just think that that people, it's up to every individual to develop that ability to get the base knowledge, understand things, and and then critically think about them as opposed to just parroting something someone says. And I don't know. They should be teaching that stuff in school. They should, like in grade school. Why wait until college? It's too late. Start it in, as, as young as you can. Like credit, you know, like money, how to mm-hmm. pay bills and things like that. That should be, that should be, absolutely. that should really be important. They used to have home economics, all right, back in the day. That's before, I, my school never had it, I don't think. But, um, you know, teach people about this, about their finances and this and that, and maybe, just maybe they wouldn't be getting scammed and yep. taken for a ride like so many people have happened and they get wiped out. No, you're absolutely right. I'm going to go off on a tangent on, on that point a little bit and, and then come back to the critical thinking. But, I mean, you're absolutely right on both counts. Those are two things that should be taught throughout school. Um, you know, one of the things I had, and I don't know, I imagine this was nationwide, so you probably had in Cleveland too, but to graduate eighth grade, I had to have a constitution test. And I don't know if that was a state thing or whatever, you know, or a national thing, but you, we basically spent a semester going over all the rules of government and the balance of powers and all that kind of stuff. And you had to have a general working knowledge of how our government worked, uh, which is important. And Civics. That, yeah, but I mean, this, there was a specific test and it was a part, separate and apart from all of our other classes that was at least at the state level. If you didn't get this, you were not out of eighth grade. And um they really need to do that for finance and for critical thinking. I, I think, I mean, to be, I mean, we live understanding how your government works is, is important, but also understanding how the economy works. And, um, you know, I, 
to your point, I, we were talking about, I talked about people who are very educated, a lot smarter and more educated than me. Uh, but they're like, there's little simple things of, about um, how interest works that, you know, a lot of these people, like I, I remember talking with my one friend uh, about it again, very educated. There's something called the rule of 72. And it's just kind of a shorthand way of figuring out how interest doubles over time. Use that to calculate very quickly. How long would, would this, um, you know, would the um, principal double if I don't pay as real simple thing, or like if you're going to make an investment, they say, well, how much, what percentage are you getting on, on return? How much, how long would my money have to sit there and before it would double? So it's a real handy little shorthand thing, but neither he or I had learned those in any of our schooling. Like he, like I said, he had a couple master's degrees and he was middle-aged at this point. And he's like, this is a simple thing that kids should know. I mean, understanding interest, I, you know, it goes back to like, and that the fact that not even that specific rule, but how interest works with credit cards and with mortgages. I mean, you think about the financial crisis of 2008 and what people were taking out. They should have known that they were going to, they were getting themselves into serious trouble, you know, but so many people were financially illiterate that, and we're all interdependent. You know, if enough people make bad decisions financially, we can bring all, we can bring each other all down. You know, there's no, no man is an Island in this economy. You know, if enough people make bad decisions with credit and investment and you, we could take the whole thing down. I mean, banks were doing it too. Um, but yeah, being financially literate, uh, you know, is, is important as the hard sciences, in my opinion. I mean, that's day-to-day -day life. That's the physics of our society. If you don't know the basics of like, how should I be investing for my retirement? Uh, yeah. How much is this credit card going to pile up on me? Um, cause you know, and people get swindled, they get taken, like they get told they're going to get this huge amount of return on certain investments. And like you said, your spidey sense should go off and say, Hey, that's bullshit. Because I know like, you know, maybe getting 8% return is a really great return. So if someone's <laughs> promising me like 20 or something higher, <laughs> that it's probably something doesn't smell right there. So, I mean, from day one, like, I don't know how they would do it if they'd actually budget kids monopoly money and they could you know, literally go through the actions of saving and investing and earning that kind of stuff. And then at the end of the school year, you know, when they're little, they can buy little things and, and, and go through all that. Um, yeah, it just, but yeah, circling back to the, the critical thinking too, a lot of people, I think, pay lip service to it. Just think, they think, we'll just think critically about stuff, be skeptical, but there's actual rules of how to think. And there are logical fallacies that you can look up. Uh, you know, I mean, then they have Latin names and things. So this is something that's going back to antiquity. You know, this is part of Western, uh, you know, education and, and culture, and they should, you know, teach those. So like one of them is the ad hominem attack, right, where you get into an argument about someone's ideas, you know, and you'll say, well, you know, you can't trust this guy because, you know, I don't know, he like, whatever, he, he was an asshole, he said this or that. Yeah, but we're not talking about him. You know, you're sidetracking, you're, you're kind of disqualifying him where it's like, no, we're actually talking about his idea, you know, but that happens all the time in, in discourse where they start to attack the person, not the idea or the concept um, or, you know, the, uh, you know, what about isms? Exactly. And there's all these just classic, they're like rhetorical tricks. And, uh, and again, yeah, public speakers either consciously or unconsciously use them to, to, to dis, give people disinformation. And I remember being, you know, pretty frustrated when I was younger, 
getting, you know, I'd hear a good argument from one side on, a, on an issue and I'd be like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And then all of a sudden I'd hear a counter argument and be like, oh yeah, that also makes a lot of sense. And I'm like, well, how the hell am I going to make up my mind? And you really have to dissect these things and say, okay, what he's saying here is irrelevant or he's appealing to an authority that doesn't matter. I mean, there's an actual system and some of them, I mean, it can get very complex, but I think there's, um, I think like Carl Sagan actually had some kind of like bullshit detector list he had like literally like 10 things ask yourself these 10 questions when you're reading something to see if it, it's, it's you know passes the smell test uh start simply there but i i absolutely think that um clearly yeah a, a lot of our ills in society like yeah, i said it's, to me it's almost like a, a form of self-defense you know i mean people are trying to take advantage of you for various reasons and give you misinformation and you, you need to arm yourself just like we try to pr- physically prepare yourself you have to mentally prepare yourself for these things i'll go a step further too and i and i agree with everything you said um i know one man in particular out here well to do and you know he's real tight right i mean and he really doesn't spend a lot of money okay on anything except what like he likes to take cruises and long cruises okay three four week cruises which but anyway you know, he's, he's, he's garnered, he's in his seventies, he's garnered enough money. And, you know, he's, I'm like, what's, what's the point? You, you live so frugally that, you know, you're never going to spend He's never going to spend the money he has. It's just never going to happen. It's just not even feasibly possible. And that's his business. But you get to the point where you're so, uh, wrapped up in this interest rates and this and investments and blah 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 and you lose track of having an enjoyable life day in and day out if i had this guy's money i would be helping people for one that's a definite yes but i think i would enjoy my life a little more than he does okay because he just doesn't seem to be enjoying his life he tries to make up for it, like I said, with these cruise ships, you know, and jamming everything in in a month at sea, uh, which is going to, I mean, you know, the cost on that, that's thousands and thousands and thousands. Whereas every day could could be a, a little vacation for the guy in essence, if he would just open up a little bit. Um, so, and I see that even with people sometimes with their training, they can become so over the top with their training that they they miss out on other things in life you know uh or you hear people about their career they're so career oriented they destroyed their marriage okay because they're a workaholic and for what um that that's just my my way and i'm not saying i'm correct but i just believe in you know trying to enjoy your life finding things that make it enjoyable for you. I've been lucky that my my tastes in life have always been modest, simple. I I don't have I don't want to go on a cruise at all, let alone for a month at a time. If I had to do that, my god, I I mean I'd have to work 20 jobs. Uh I don't want to fly around the world and see Europe and see Asia and I mean those nothing wrong with doing that. I, that's just not me. Um but I've been lucky as you have been if you would really open up a little more about it um we don't need to go around the world to go around the world we live in a i lived in cleveland in chicago where 
that around the world came to us. And I could meet people from different cultures. And I get to know them. And I experience their country through through them. I've been invited to their house, let's say, they'd make me dinner. Uh, my friend Lana from Russia, she used to make feasts, all Russian food. Uh, I've had Polish, I've had Italians. You know, this is great. I mean, the food I'm going to get here is going to be better than if I went to Italy, you know, from the, these homemade uh, people, you know, the, the Italian immigrants. So I think a lot of people don't, don't look at things like that. Um, Chicago is still one of the highest uh, tourists. A lot of people want to come to Chicago from around the world. Yet there are people here where I live now, approximately an hour and a half from downtown Chicago, that don't want to go to Chicago. They have never been to Chicago. You know, have never seen the wonderful museums or the the, the beautiful work or the uh, beautiful uh, um, architecture of, of, of the homes and stuff or the food. And now their thing is, well, I don't want to get shot in the head. Because that's all they hear on on the radio on the TV news is the violence they they think in Chicago. So, uh, yeah, I've always looked at things differently, and maybe that's because I came from poor from a poor family. You know, we didn't have that kind of extravagance, that wealth. Um, I saw the house that you were raised in. Man, I would have died to be raised in that house or in that neighborhood. It didn't happen for me. Um, but you were around, you weren't far from the Germans and stuff over there, okay? The German hood. So you could, you know, you, you, don't, you can't tell me you didn't have any exposure to that. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's just, I think it, sometimes people just, they, they don't even see the beauty of, of, of what, what, what's around them. Well, yeah, I mean, you're talking big picture stuff now, too. I mean, kind of, you know, it, I was mentioning it's important to be financially literate and obviously have... You got to have your financial house in order, right? I mean, that's food, that's food and housing. But if you become obsessed about it, like that guy, you know, you, you kind of become the Scrooge where you, you could do all this good and you could enjoy life, but instead you're, you know, counting your shekels. Um, and like I said, I'm sure for some people, it's a little bit like sports and gambling when they get kind of really in a high level of investing and that can be its own form of entertainment. But you know, when you're dead, you're done. You know, we don't, this is, you know, you only get this one shot at this life. And, uh, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, in the morning, you sit out there on your, your porch and enjoy the morning. That's a simple thing that I think, you know, I was thinking about my grandparents and Sasha's grandparents. They'd always, you know, every morning or every evening at sunset, they'd be out on that porch, just sitting there watching nature and just kind of sitting back. And I mean, we all, wherever we live, there's something to appreciate and enjoy. You know, you don't have to fly across the world if you can't. Um, but yeah, you've got to get that work-life balance going and training and life balance going too. Because um, yeah, make sure you're not missing out. It's, it's like you said, there's so much to experience, and it is a blessing. I mean, uh, and uh, this actually goes also back to our point about being manipulated by the media, and or I guess ask yourself, am I being manipulated by the media or whoever, whoever's trying to you know, like we talk about that fear of Chicago. Um, if Are you being, is someone making you afraid to the point where you're going to miss out on something? It might not even be Chicago, whatever it is. You know, if, if they're, they're just basically playing something up. Because, um, yeah, I've met people not even here, but like in, I have in-laws in 
California who've never been to San Fran. They live across the bridge from San Francisco and they won't go there for X, Y, or Z. And it's a, San Francisco is a beautiful world-class city, all kinds of culture there. Um, and they're missing out. Uh, and it's a shame, you know, they're not taking, uh, and, you know, part of it might just be kind of being in their routines, but I, I've had conversations and they've actually, they are afraid of X, Y, or Z. And, um, I mean, yes, there are risks to anything you do. You know, if you go, I mean, you could, I mean, in this day and age, unfortunately, people are getting killed everywhere. You know, I mean, in some degrees, you pull in the wrong driveway, uh, you could die. Uh, but, you know, more people, you're likely to die in a car crash if you get in your car. So um, if you're smart about things, but yeah, I've, I've had I've had conversations with multiple people and I can tell, oh, I know, I think I know what your news sources are because they're, they're afraid of going to X, Y, or Z or afraid of doing X, Y, or Z. And yeah, there are definitely some places you have to avoid and be smart about, but um, yeah, you're. Just don't let people play you and miss out on things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. And another thing you hit on, uh, in he, out here, outside of Chicago, everywhere you go, everywhere now, there's gambling machines, legal, all over the place. I shoot pool at a technically at a gambling place, right? I've never gambled on those machines. I don't know how to do them. They're slot machines with all these different games and cartoons and, you know. And and I said the other day when I went to shoot some pool, I said, I don't want to hear people bitch about the economy. When when you're when you're when you're losing four or five hundred dollars on the poker machines. Okay. If if money, I mean, stop gambling. You know, you'll 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 you always hear about how much they win. You never hear about how much they lose. And these are the people that come out of there and they just they're bitching about something. Well, you just lost maybe even a hundred dollars. Man, I could have had a lot of fun if I had that hundred dollars. Think what we, you know, I would I'd have a good meal or I'd go get grocery shopping or you know, I'd do something. Um so and they bebop around. They go from one casino to the next, to the next, to the next, or gaming club, whatever they technically are called. Um so you know. I just, I, I have a hard time sympathizing with them. Like I know one man, very nice guy. He ran into some trouble for years now. He's run into some trouble with, he's, with he got a DUI and it, it's ex, lost his license and, you know, lost his car, all that jazz. The bottom line is he's about $2,300 away from getting, getting, getting everything final, you know, getting his car and his license back. 2300 bucks. Yet I see him all the time trying to get the 2300 in one fell swoop and it's just nickel and diamond him to death. He just always he might win a little bit, then he puts it right back in and loses over and over. Whereas if he just wouldn't gamble for a, just a few months, he he'd have his money. So this is another thing. This is an addiction for some people. You know that. Absolutely. Just, yeah, absolutely. just just as drugs and alcohol or you know, performance enhancing drugs. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, we all have our vices. I mean, that's just a given. I don't know. I don't know of anybody who does not I don't think I've ever met anyone who didn't have some sort of vice. I mean, even religion can become a vice. Okay. Where you, you're, you're going against logic to pray away something that 
is easily solved, okay? But, um, or, or what have you. A- anything could be a vice. So we all have it. But again, here comes the critical thinking. All right, I need $2,300 to get the car fixed. I make, let's say, I don't know what this guy makes. Let's just say three grand a month. I don't know. And if he, if he, if he could just string along 400 bucks extra per month, just, you know, tighten his belt a little bit, you know, in, in, in eight months, less than eight months, he'd, he'd have the money. Say six months, you know, because you have to factor in other things will come into play. But I don't know. I don't know how people look and I, or how they think. And I, I don't want to tell this guy. I mean, I really not my business. He's a very, very nice man. He really is. Younger than me. Nice guy. Uh, you know, and, but that's just, that's just the way it is with some people. Yeah. And I mean, it's, doing it the boring methodical way is, is never much fun. And you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, gambling is clearly an addiction. It can be. Um, and they actually, there are people, the, I mean, it is, it's all about like, you know, uh, brain chemistry and getting that dopamine hit when you win. Uh, I remember hearing, I don't remember where it was, was a story about some woman who, you know, through the lottery got like some 10 grand payout. Um, and her family, after she passed away, they kind of calculated over her life. I mean, once you get that 10 grand payout, she was forever chasing that again. And they know basically doing the math that she had spent more than that 10 grand on tickets. You know, the math wasn't right. She had basically out, she'd spent all that money on lottery tickets and whatnot for the rest of her life, trying to get that again. Um, And yeah, I mean, knowing simple, I mean, we talked about, financial education, knowing some probability and some statistics um, and just understanding how gambling works and that over time, the house always wins. You stay there long enough, you're going to be a net negative. You know, they're a profitable business for the people running it. So that should tell you something that ultimately you're going to be paying out. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, once you've got that, once you've got that, and it's the same thing. I mean, it's, I think it's literally the same type of uh, neurotransmitters that when you get a drug hit, that when you get a, when you score on gambling or when you win, you get that that rush of winning, um, and you, you get that a few more times, it starts to click, and you, you just always chase it. Well, yeah. you're you're right, and and I knew that early on because I used to play pool for money lots back in the days of of my youth, and now you know I'm trying to play again. We we don't play for anything. I mean, it, something we'll play for a drink, but yesterday. We were just my buddy wanted to play partners with me. I really didn't feel like it. I said, All right, I'll I'll play a game for free for nothing. And I missed I mean, I ran out about five, six balls, and then I just I wasn't in stroke. I was struggling. I knew that. And whatever, we lost that game. And I just told him, I said, you know, I don't want to play anymore. I just don't. Uh no, I take that back. We won that game yesterday, but I just didn't want to play anymore. So I don't want to play anymore. He's like, come on, man, one more game. I'm like, okay, but I don't want to do this, you know. And we lost that second game. And then, I, again, I said, I don't want to play anymore. He's like, let's play the third game, tiebreaker. I said, Rob, I don't want to do this. But we did. And, you know, but you got to know when you're in the groove and when not to be in a groove. You know, I've walked away from shooting pool when I was winning because I knew when to quit. I knew that, you know, Okay, I've got enough money. This is what I wanted to make today. 
I wanted to earn, I wanted to win X amount of money. So let me go. And years ago, I took a blackjack course. I had to play professional blackjack. And that was one of the things that I, I re, not only did they tell you technically how to play the game, you know, by the percentages and, you know, if the, if the dealer's up card is this and you have that, you know, your percentages or whatever. But he taught us about uh, the gambling. To not look at it as a game, look at it as a job. And ask yourself, how much do you want to earn? What do you think is a fair wage? Now, this is back in the 80s. So, you know, $100, $200 a day, which you're not going to, you know, you're not going to become a millionaire maybe, but whatever you thought was a good wage, that's what you attempted to earn. And if you hit that money, let's say it was $100, once you hit that 100 you walk away, okay? You have your gambling money here and your other money here in this pocket, and you'd never go past your um, your allotment, okay? And And that's just the way it is, you know? Don't try to make up for your losses the next day. Just always strive to make that, let's say that it's $100. Always strive to make that $100. If you, if you lost today, don't try to make up for it tomorrow by winning $200. That's the trap that people fall into. You have to have acceptable losses and, and know when to quit. And I feel that's the case in a, in a lot of things in life. And when we say quit, we don't mean permanently quit, but sometimes you have to walk away. You know, and and regroup and come back another day or another next week or 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 whatever it is, and that even involves training. Sometimes you just got to walk away. You got to put your goal on hold a minute because your goal may be working against you, and you just need to refresh, regroup, and uh, and come back with a different approach or or mindset. Uh, some people just can't do that. Well, it takes discipline. It's not easy. I mean, you mentioned it about training. I mean, it's it's definitely hard when you have a goal, something you're reaching for, and all of a sudden you feel maybe like your body's telling you no. Like maybe, you know, a lot of people will not listen to their body and they get injured. You know, maybe you're not feeling right or something's off and you push through. I mean, that's something I think I, especially as I've gotten older, um, is has been much tougher. Um, just you know, I'm used to achieving certain things, whether it's lifting or running, and and maybe I I can't achieve things as quickly as I used to, and that's hard. Uh, it's hard to be honest with yourself and reassess your goals if if you have to. Um, but yeah, whether it's physical or financial, it's a very similar strategy. I remember hearing someone um, talking about investing. Same thing with like how how long do you hold on to a stock? And they kind of had a like a rule, like if I've earned this much profit on the stock, I'm going to sell. Like you know, I, I I buy in at this level, and it gets to this level, this is when I sell. I'm going to be disciplined about it. I get my profit. Now it may go further, but it also may drop off. But they always are trying to make that certain set profit, and be disciplined about selling things at that point. Um, because yeah, it's, it's in a lot of ways, you know, playing the market is just another form of gambling, depending how you do it. I should say. Um, and obviously I'm, I have no, I'm no expert there, but I remember a very similar strategy of like, this is how much I'm going to, when it gets to this amount, I'm selling, I'm not going to, and I'm going to keep moving on. Um, so yeah, very interesting. Um, and the other thing is like, yeah, it is tied in with emotion and you have to kind of 
divorce yourself and 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 that's I think part of the hard part about all these things we've been talking about, whether it was critical thinking or a gambling. I mean, it we're emotional creatures and we we, we can get caught up, you know, and um it's very hard to be detached from that and recognizing yourself, being self-aware that like, why am I clinging to this idea or why am I getting upset about having this discussion or whatever that behavior is? It's You've got to recognize that um, emotions play into it. Well, you yeah, and you can become obsessed with sports, for example, as a fan, uh, you know, no matter what the sport is, you know, fanatics about it. And, hey, as long as it's constructive, in my opinion, and you're enjoying it, but I've seen people pretty much just devastate their life, devastated uh, over losses, you know, that, you know, it's a sport, it's a game. Believe me, these athletes don't give two shits about your personal life, okay? They, <laughs> they don't care. They're, they're not going to cry over you. Don't cry over them. You know, uh, people lose track of that or actors or actresses and, you know, or what have you. Um, none of that makes, to me, doesn't make any sense. But again, I'm I'm old school. Um, I'm a diehard, diehard Browns fan and Indians fan. Cavaliers, well, the Guardians now. Cavaliers, um, but mainly the Browns and the Indians, well, the Guardians, Cleveland Guardians. Um, and I would love to see the Browns even in the Super Bowl. And I certainly would want to see the Indians win the World Series. Okay. Uh, but I can't build my life around that. I I just can't like, I, I don't take that deep of an interest anymore because real life has beaten my ass a lot the last, you know, let's say 10 years or so. So, you know, I don't even get the thrill anymore of, out of it. And of course the Browns, uh, baseball's a longer season. Baseball is 162 games. Anything can happen. Football, you, you, after the first month, you could just be what the season could be gone for you. You know, you go on four, you're not, you're pretty much, you're, you're pretty much done. But I know people who are just, you know, so diehard, you can't really even talk to them. I, I got into a subject matter yesterday, friendly though, with, with a couple guys that, very nice men, never met them before, but they're knowledgeable about baseball, not as knowledgeable really as they thought, uh, and really were clueless about football as far as they were just, they shut the door on anything. They were all about Walter Payton and nobody else existed. And I just said, I can't have a discussion with you guys, okay, so, because you're not football fans, okay? You're Bears fans. And there is a difference, okay? Uh, I'm a football fan. I mean, you know, I told you last time about how I feel about Brown, Jim Brown, and I mentioned Barry Sanders and stuff like this. These people were, they're bums. They're no good. You know, Walter Payton is better than anybody that ever lived. You know, so you can't have a conversation with people like that. And they, they did the same thing with baseball. And then finally, somebody was at the poker part of the place. He stuck his head out and yell at these two guys you don't know shit about baseball you know how dare you talk down about mickey mantle you don't you don't know your ass from a hole in the ground i'm like yeah go for it you know <laughs> but <laughs> but you right away should know don't 
don't uh, just don't go there with these types of people. Walk away. And I didn't physically walk away, but I walked away from the conversation. Then I found out the one guy actually lives in Villa Park, which, well, that's where Kevin was from. And my gym was right down the street. So we started talking about restaurants and places in Villa Park that I know. And he's like, wow, how do you know that? I said, well, you know, my gym was in Bensonville. and I, I haven't lived out here my whole life. This is I'm relatively new out here. So we turned what could have been potentially a negative into a positive. And, and that's good. You know, that's really what you should, you should try to strive for. Um, I don't always do that. Of course, sometimes you do get reeled in, but it's nice to be able to say, yeah, these are a couple of nice guys. And they were, they were very nice. Um, We just, you know, I just can't get into a deep subject matter with, with them. Um, so you got to know the difference between a fan, which is short for fanatic, of of a team, or or do these people really know sports? You know, this nobody probably cares to hear this, but many many years ago, <laughs> I knew a guy. No, I knew a guy that was a walking encyclopedia of baseball statistics. Before my memory went south, I used to pride myself on knowing quite a lot of stats. Nowhere near this guy. This guy was like one of those savants, and I really respected his baseball knowledge. Until, until he started with the knucklehead shit with Sammy Sosa. Now, Sammy Sosa is the greatest ball player to ever live. I take Sammy Sosa over Barry Bonds, over Ken Griffey, this and that. And it, it was one of those come to Jesus moments where, I, you know, I, I no longer had any, any respect for him uh, as anything other than a statistician, of uh, not even an analyst. He just was a statistic guy and new trivia. And I told him, because I liked him, I said, I, I, can't, I can't talk sports with you anymore because now you're talking nonsense here. You're talking idiocy here, okay? Um, and I haven't seen him for years. He moved, or I don't know what happened. Maybe he died or something. He, wasn't, he was like around my age. But, yeah, this was back in the days when, you know, in the 90s when it was Sosa and McGuire going for the home run record and shit like that. And, you know, you just – to me, you just end up kind of like, you know, losing res- I do. At least I lose respect for somebody's uh, thing. That's, I'm funny that way. Well, that's a perfect example of um, someone who's very knowledgeable, but still let their emotions get in the way of their objectivity. You know, they may yeah. even statistically know there are better ball players just by the numbers. Um or like you said, the the Walter Payton fans. You can say Walter Payton is my favorite football player, but there are numbers and statistics out there that may say other players are on his plane or better, and they're choosing to ignore that. Um, and at some at some point, I mean, you know, none of these athletes are. There is a some degree of subjectivity because, you know, they played at different times with different. You know, you get into all this. We get it. Yeah, yeah. but. You at least should acknowledge that, you know, like if you're having that discussion of who's the greatest boxer of all time, you got to say, well, he came first. He was before a different era. You you have to uh, acknowledge the gray areas. And ultimately, some of it does come down to opinion. But to say it like it's gospel truth. Yeah, that that's a, a classic example of, you know, not being able to. And I think a lot of this, you know, we talk uh, talk about is, is self-awareness. And that's something we always have to wear. What are what are my faults? What are the traps that I fall in? You know, am I biased towards my hometown where I can't see that someone outside of it maybe is better 
And then I think ultimately, I think the most important takeaway from what the story you said is like, get the big picture. Who gives a shit? You know, like the, uh, <laughs> I, some journalist once he was talking about, he was talking about some sports writer. He said, but he felt like every sports story should start out with the phrase, not that it mattered, but this team happened. Yeah. And that should, you know, the, it, or someone said it was like, I, there was another quote about, I think it was like the most important, important story that didn't matter or whatever something something that affect but yeah it, it doesn't in fact it's entertainment you know and it's it's a pastime it's something uh it's not worth fighting over it's good to have and yeah you have to be able to read someone can i have a fun discussion with this a fun debate with this person or are they just locked in and this is just going to be running into a brick wall and just cost strife then it's what's the point yeah i i i Got in, not into. I got asked an opinion the other day from somebody whose son is getting into, who's signed to do an MMA fight. He's going to fight in March in Ohio, but they're from out here, and he's, you know, just been training at some local MMA gym or whatever. And this is his father because he knows he knows what I what I do for a living. And I'm like, oh, that's nice, you know. What am I going to say, right? You know, um, but then what the father said was shocking to me and indicative of, I don't know, a, a defect somewhere. <laughs> he said, my son should be fighting Canelo, Canelo Alvarez. He says, that's what I want. I want, I'm, I'm going to try to negotiate this. And I don't know this guy that well, but Obviously, the man is unbalanced. I mean, his son's not even training to, to be a boxer. He's, he's training MMA, and he's never had a fight. And now you're going to want to fight one of the best fighters in the world? Who, where, where do people come up with this entitlement, for one, and basically, do, you know, I don't <laughs> – I don't even know what the word would be, but you're so delusional to think that, that, you know, he's going to have a chance. Um, So, you know, I just, I detached, I detached completely from the conversation. I, I, I just ended, I didn't even talk about the weather. You know, when, when you get something like that, it's best to just let it go. Okay. Cause you know, you're not going to get anywhere with this. so you have that kind of you have people who who think like that, you know, that just are you know you're not going to get anywhere with these people is what I'm saying. So talking to them is a waste of your breath. Your blood pressure is going to go up because they're going to pull something out of their ass that just is going to be uh, you can't counter it because they don't want to hear they they live in a delusional fantasy world. Yeah, and I imagine it's even harder for people. You know, it's hard to be aware self-aware of yourself and objective about your shortcomings it's probably even harder about your kids sometimes uh and but yeah that that kind of stuff occasionally you just run into people who you wonder how can they think that they can get away with saying something like that or say something ridiculous i remember you know i've I've run into some people at my work who would give me some weightlifting statistics that i knew were bullshit just because i knew them you know, you you know a lifter when you see him. You can see by their build how strong they are. You can be like, okay, this guy trains, uh, 
you know, so at least he has an idea, but occasionally people will, you know, whatever they, 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 they rattle off some bench press statistic and you can just size them up right away and say that 99%, this is bullshit. And I don't know why you feel the need to bullshit. Like it almost feel like there's a, some insecurity there where they feel they have to like talk macho bullshit around other guys. Um, but it, to me, it makes them look worse. I, I always admire guys who are like, you know, oh, this, you know, I can only, this is my, you know, when, when someone gives me a reasonable number, I respect that. You know, now some people are, are literally strong and can see that, but you can usually just get a vibe for someone. Um, but yeah, the more you've been around training and athletics, you start to get a vibe for when people bullshit and it's just, it never comes off good. It just, it, it, I had that Sunday at somebody's after the private, after, after the workshop, I stopped at somebody's house. They had a little cookout I was invited to. And yeah, this guy was bragging about his friend and what he could bench. And then I finally, I finally ended it by saying, well, he's not clean. Um, because you know, this kid who supposedly lives apparently a couple streets away from me, um, would be the, would be the current world record holder in the bench press in his weight division. That's all I can tell you. Okay, he would be far above anybody currently lifting. Um, you know, so that's not the case. Okay, um, so maybe back when I was actively lifting, I would have probably tried to straighten him out a little bit, but. I've really, honestly, I've gotten to the point in my life, I just don't give a shit. I don't, I don't care about these people that I don't even know and their bullshit stories. You're never going to win. Um, look, we do podcasts. I have websites. I, I've done stuff to try to tell people, look, I can help your training. I can, I can make you as good as you can possibly be. Um, if people want to take me up on it, awesome. But if it falls on deaf ears, there's nothing you can do. I've known that I know now the internet has just been inundated with bullshit and people thrive on it. And the more fanatic or uh, more fantastic, the clickbait is, you know, the, the more hits and the more uh, money that they can make, you know, we don't monetize our YouTube channel. We don't, I don't get a penny. And I know that there's, you know, 14 year old kids with TikTok videos that are making a fortune because they put up some crazy stunt or, you know, practical joke or whatever it is, you know, we've tried to always not do that. We, we've tried to be the last of the straight shooters in, in a sense of not clickbait, just listen to us. Um, that doesn't work. You know, people, people want to be stroked. They want to be uh, many people, not everybody, but a lot of people want to be, they want, they, they want to hear the fantasies. They, they, they want to believe in the, they want to believe the magic is real. Mm -hmm. You know, and like many magicians, magicians cannot stomach psychics because psychics are cons in the magicians, uh, their belief system. So even the magician mentalists, they tell them this is just a trick. This is not real. And, you know, there's so much in the martial arts that are like that. Those things aren't real. I mean, that, that stuff is not going to work. It's, in essence, it's fake. It'll only work under certain conditions and blah, blah, blah. So I've always tried to be honest about that with people. And people, a lot of people just don't want to hear it, okay? It turns them off. It turns, it turns them against me, but so be it. I can sleep well at night um, knowing that, hey, I, I, told, I told the truth. 
Um, so yeah, we're living in a world where like hyperbole is what it's all about, you know, being as over the top. You know, I not gonna mention who, but I get emails nearly every day. Um, and they're really over the top. The the title of the emails and the this or that. I don't even send out emails anymore. It's a waste of my time. Um, really, because we have enough. We I might send out one eventually, like one a year, once a year, a little sale. I don't know. But uh the bottom line is it's no longer even your actual content that matters. It's how you promote it. It's all frigging marketing across the board. Marketing. Um, they have this term now. I don't know if you guys have seen it called life hack. Like it's some sort of like revolutionary way of like slicing bread. But really all it is is a bread slice. All right. Or so, something, you know, something ridiculous. But they come up with this life hack or whatever the term will be now um you know that that will draw your attention finally the truth is revealed or some shit like that you know uh the sad final days of you know sylvester stallone or whoever you know this kind of shit you see all that crap on youtube you can't help but i don't click on that shit because i know it's ridiculous but that you can see how many views it has and sometimes it's millions of views so some clown in their basement just probably made $2,000 by, you know, making a 10-minute video full of bullshit, you know, full of photos from that they scoured off the internet, you know, from 50 years ago and put together some, you know, chatbot thing, you know, that's going to write a script for them. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, and it's junk food, and people are always going to, you know, I think that's just the nature. It's kind of appealing to the lowest common denominator or base instincts. And I'm guilty sometimes. I'll see something. I'll be like, okay, you got me. I want to see what this thing says. And then I'll, I'll be 30 seconds in. And I'm like, what am I such an asshole? Why did I start watching this stupid thing? You know, it's just, it's human nature. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, people want, yeah, want the sensational. They want the, and yeah, it's just, uh, that's what's encouraged. That's what makes money. Um, and it's, it's, just it's another thing to be aware of and, and to uh, try not to get caught up in. But yeah, giving people the straight dope is often not, is, people don't want to hear the necessarily the truth. Well, P.T. Barnum did this stuff and I'm sure there was hucksters before him. Uh, you know, even when you think about the martial art comic or the martial, the comic book, like Count Dante and all that, you know, and all the different other guys, John Natividad and others that did karate you know, buy my courts kind of stuff when we were young. So, you know, I've always been a fan of creative marketing. Like, really cool. Like, I remember many, many years ago, I think this won an award. They had these, like, dominoes set up. You know what dominoes are? Sure. And it was elaborate. It was unbelievable how nice these things were falling live shot. I mean, like it was not edited. It was, you could see the whole thing going on. And then after this beautiful uh, thing, the last domino hit a cassette tape. It was on the edge of a table. The cassette tape fell off the table, flipped because this is physics. It flipped and it landed 
in an open cassette player that was underneath, fell right into the slot. And then you saw a guy close it, and it was Maxell, the world's finest or whatever, you know, audio cassette tape. That is frigging cool. That's the way I like to. I would like to market shit. That was cool. No clickbait, nothing. It was just frigging awesome. Um, and I love shit like that, okay? Some of the Super Bowl commercials are, are, are funny. They're, or they're entertaining, you know, and, and I like that, right? It's not like blowing smoke and shit like that. It's like awesome stuff. And I don't see a lot of creative stuff like that. You know what I mean? Um, I, I just, I mean, I'm sure it's out there. I, I just don't, I'm not, a, I'm not privy to it. I don't, I don't see it, but yeah, that's just how I am, man. I, I like stuff like that. That really is creative and takes a lot of talent to do. And I'm sure it's out there. Like, yeah, I think the one cool thing about YouTube um, is that it does allow a lot of creative people to put stuff out there. You know, and the same thing with podcasts is that, you know, even uh, two guys, two, uh, you know, Jamokes from uh, the Chicagoland area can, uh, sitting on their couches, can have a conversation and, and broadcast it to the world for those who want to uh, listen to it. <laughs> um, but uh, there's the, the trick is, is is you have to mine for that. You have to mine for the diamonds. No, no, I'm not saying that our show is diamonds, but there are, you find there are the, the benefit is is that and, and the, the the statistics are staggering about how many thousands of hours of content are being uploaded to YouTube every second. Or I, I can't I can't even remember. But it's mind blowing when you hear about how much is out there. But yeah, like ninety percent of everything is garbage and coal. But the good thing is that I mean there are people putting out creative things like that you know uh video or that audio cassette thing you said there there are people putting creative videos out there and you can find them but you got to kind of get used to blowing past all the bullshit and garbage well you said the word jamoke the first time i ever heard that jamoke was on beretta the television show <laughs> tony beretta you know um robert blake who passed away not too long ago uh yeah jamoke Italian, which the Italian thing actually came from Dick Biondi, who was a, I didn't know this at the time because I lived in Cleveland, but he was a DJ out here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's still alive or not, but I, I apparently he came up with that. He was the raving Italian or whatever, something. He came up with the uh, the term Italian. But yeah, I, I remember some, I don't remember all the, uh, the, the uh, words that Beretta used to use, but you know, Jamoke was one of them for sure. Absolutely. I learned that word from watching Tony Beretta. And Fred the Cockatoo. That was a fun show. I used to dig that show when I was a kid. Well, uh, actually, it came out, it was Toma. Okay. And it was, I believe, Tony Musanti, I believe, that did the series. And for whatever reason, either he quit or or, or something happened. And then they rebooted it as Beretta uh, with Robert Blake, who's Italian, was Italian. Mickey Gubitosi was on a Little Rascals is, you know, Mickey. Um, of course, he had a turbulent life. You know, he got a, accused of murdering his wife as well and blah, blah, blah. Got He beat that case but lost in the civil trial. Um, but he just had a lot of – he was he was a different type of guy. He had some, some things going on. I remember he used to be on – he used to do STP commercials for like motor oil additives and shit. And I don't know if it was on the Merv Griffin show or something like that. He just went off. 
said, this shit's all garbage. I wouldn't use it in my vehicle, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's all junk. And, you know, STP dropped him. And, you know, they're like, wow. Because I used, well, I was a Valvoline guy on my hot rods, but I, I have used STP treatments. I never had a problem with it. Um, but, yeah, he was just like that. He was like a loose cannon. You know, I, I heard he had some, some. I think he was institutionalized too briefly in the 60s or something. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, he definitely had a kind of a reputation. But uh, this has been another, like, it's funny. We were going to talk about uh, celebrities that we've come in contact. It was going to be kind of a light conversation, but I think we actually had headed a totally different direction. Well, you know, I, I didn't want to do, like, celebrities that we met, but, like, people that really knew each other. Uh, mm. Like, um, that's why, like, Michael Crichton, my cousin knew him. I mean, they, these were, they were friends. Uh, I knew a guy. He used to be like my dad's best friend. We've talked about him on a show before, briefly, Steve Popovich from Cleveland, who knew, I mean, knew he was a record producer. He knew them all. He, Meatloaf, Barbara Streisand, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, all that shit. You know, um, so I had a one-degree separation from Meatloaf, but I had a zero separation with Steve Popovich. I mean, I knew the guy, all right? Um and I always thought I was going to end up meeting Meatloaf. And if I did, I would have brought up Steve Popovich and I would have been in like Flynn. But of course, you know, Meatloaf passed away as well. Steve's been gone for quite some time. Um, but yeah, because you and I have both met famous people, celebrities. That don't mean that we know them. But yeah, no, this was an interesting conversation today. Uh, and I hope um, people get, get something out of it. We're just kind of bullshitting here until we can get some more guests. We have guests lined up according to Joe, but it's always a scheduling thing, scheduling issue. It's harder than people think to get guests on because people are busy. Yeah, but stay tuned. I think, yeah, we have some people in the wings that I think we'll have some good conversations with, and I think it'll be a, a good time. So, but yeah, I, this was an enjoyable conversation. Hopefully uh, people got something out of it. Yeah, I hope so too, everybody. So uh, we will, uh, I would hope, uh, I should be here next week. So uh, let's stay tuned. and. Everybody have a good week, and I'll see you next time.